Welcome to the 11th episode of the fourth series of the Women in CX podcast, a series dedicated to real talk conversations between women in customer experience. Listen in as we share our career stories, relive the moments that shaped us, and voice our opinions as loudly as we like about all manner of CX subjects. I'll be your host, Claire Muscat, and in today's episode, I'll be talking to one of our community founding members, a seriously fabulous CX queen from Germany. Let me introduce you to today's inspiring guest. She's a digital experience strategist, a business innovator, and expert on ecosystem CX. She's a TEDx keynote and corporate event speaker, workshop facilitator, guest lecturer, board advisor, startup mentor, awards judge, and a co-author of international bestseller, Customer Experience 3, and in 2022, was named a global CX influencer to follow by Angarty. Please welcome to the show, CX sister, Anna Noakes-Schultz. Hey, Anna. Hi, Claire. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. I'm so excited about the conversation we're going to have today. Me too. Welcome to the Women in CX podcast and welcome to everybody listening along at home as well. Um, so yeah, just to kind of position this episode, it was a bit of an extra one really because Anna, as a founding member of our community, brought to the attention of the community the whole concept of what's happening in technology, things like Web3 and the metaverse, and what the impact is going to be on customer experience. So we set to debating that uh, through our social media network on Women in CX, but we thought this would be a great opportunity to bring this conversation to broadcast and share it with our listeners as well. So today's really going to be me asking Anna a lot of questions about the ins and outs of things like the metaverse and Web3. And hopefully it will bring value to everybody uh, who is wondering what the hell some of these terms mean, just as I was when we first started this conversation over on the Women in CX platform. So Anna, I'm going to start there then. What the hell is the metaverse? (laughs) What the hell is the metaverse? And that is exactly the question. In the last year or so, there's been an explosion of interest in the metaverse. You have big tech companies that are investing vast amounts of money in it. You have marketers buzzing with excitement about it. And brands are wondering what it means for them and their customers. The trouble is, it's very difficult to say what the metaverse will be because it doesn't really exist yet. What we call the metaverse is actually a convergence of technologies, behaviors, and uses that collectively drive the development of virtual worlds. And to most people, this is pretty unfamiliar territory. There was a recent report from Clavio saying that roughly half of consumers across all age groups have no idea what the metaverse is. And also 17% of those that are at least vaguely familiar with the metaverse mistakenly believe that the metaverse is owned exclusively by Meta, previously known as Facebook. So let's talk about what we know so far. The term metaverse was first mentioned by name in the 1992 sci-fi novel Snow Crash by Neil Stevenson. Snow Crash describes a computer-generated networked 3D world where characters can escape from their dystopian reality. But it's way more than just a game or a distraction. The characters dip in and out of the metaverse to get information, empowerment, and connection that they then can leverage in the offline world as well. So this is well worth reading. The notable venture capitalist, Matthew Ball, author of the Metaverse Primer, 
describes the metaverse in this very, very technical way. He calls it an expansive network of persistent, real-time, rendered 3D worlds and simulations that support continuity of identity, objects, history, payments, and entitlements, and can be experienced synchronously by an effectively unlimited number of users, each with their own individual sense of presence. That is a mouthful. But the idea of a single unified metaverse is still pretty far away. I particularly like the simplicity of Kathy Hackle's definition, where she describes the metaverse simply as a convergence of our physical and digital lives, something that's very much in the spirit of Snow Crash. So in this sense, the metaverse is part of an ongoing process of technologies becoming more and more integral to our lives, which only accelerated during the global pandemic. When we couldn't meet in person, we found ways to meet online in new and varied ways. So not only was there this huge consumer shift to digital for everyday activities like working and shopping and socializing, but there was also increased exploration of new digital spaces like online games and other virtual environments. During the pandemic, online gaming environments like Roblox and Fortnite hosted concerts by popular artists that attracted tens of millions of attendees. Gucci has been selling virtual goods on Roblox with one of their digital bags reselling for more than $4,000, well over the retail price of the bag in real life. The Nike Land store in Roblox has already attracted over 7 million visitors. So marketers have taken notice of this huge opportunity space to connect with consumers, especially Gen Alpha, in these novel and potentially lucrative ways, hence the gold rush. But since we're not yet at the point where the metaverse has mainstream buy-in or even access, now is a great time to start imagining what the metaverse could be, starting with Web3. We'll come into Web3 in a second, but like, I don't get that. So there's <laughs> Gen Alphas who I don't think have credit cards. Who is buying this stuff in Roblox? <laughs> Can I let you in on a little secret? Yeah, please do. <laughs> their parents. Oh. Their parents. Um, is the, kids are basically the gateway drug to the metaverse for <laughs> many people. And, and there's, I'll just tell you this little story on the side that, that Kathy Hackle, who's sometimes called the godmother of the metaverse, likes to tell where middle of the pandemic, she has a nine-year-old son who wants to have a birthday party, which is impossible because you can't actually see people. And he was able to convince her not only to set up a birthday party for him on Roblox, but to buy NFTs of cool outfits that he wanted to be able to wear. So his avatar can, could wear for yes, their birthday. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. So you can see how that means the, the, how, how the parent has to get involved and, and create a digital wallet and to, and to fund it in, I, actually, I forget which um, cryptocurrency they use in Roblox, but you know, doesn't matter which one. And then actually buy these, these digital goods that their mm -hmm. child wants. And I just thought that was really interesting. And that was just kind of a sign of the, the social shift that we were going through at that time. Yeah, no, totally. And I really get the kind of pandemic when we can't actually interact and socialize with each other, why that might have become more valuable. But the concept of a digital Gucci bag for £4,000, <laughs> like I'm, I'm looking at buying myself a very small Gucci bag at the moment, um, but there's absolutely no way that I would buy a, a digital version if I can't actually physically wear it. But there's something going on, isn't there? I know I watched a program the other day, on, it was just on YouTube, 
And it was about this like sneaker company who make trainers <laughs> just for the metaverse, but avatars to wear. Um, and they've got like limited edition sneakers like that mirror the outside world. And they've made like these little digital versions of them. And the prices are actually quite similar. It just literally blows my mind. It, it really does. Value is attributable to the same degree in something that you will never actually physically touch yourself. And it is a modeled on something from the actual real world. Is that the opposite of the metaverse? Yeah. And know. then and then when you consider how, you know, NFTs like digital shoes and bags and clothing and weapons and tools and all that stuff, they even if you have the NFT where you basically have a, a, a title of ownership on the blockchain saying you own this thing, what is the value of it if it's trapped on a privately held server belonging to Roblox or Fortnite or any mm. of these? It's not like you can take your Gucci bag out of Roblox else. and go somewhere else with it. And, <laughs> no. and, you know, and that's a key concept of, of, of the metaverse is portability. You know, you have to be able to take your goodies to other environments. And right now that doesn't really exist. That is so interesting. Yeah. That's so interesting. Well, I'll be keeping so my Gucci bags in the real world for the meantime. <laughs> um, so, um, so you mentioned Web3. How is the, what is Web3 and how is the metaverse connected to Web3? Well, let's just go through a short internet history recap to bring us up to the present. Okay. So Web 1.0. 1990 to 2003. This was the first iteration of the internet connecting us to information. And it was nicknamed the World Wide Web or Information Superhighway. But it was mainly one-way communications, little interaction, brochureware websites, spray and pray marketing push, all of that stuff. It was the beginning of the information economy and it showed us what some of that potential might be. Then right around 2004 and up to 2020, we were in the web 2.0 era. And this was really characterized by the, the rise of social media platforms and the, the so-called social web, which connected us to information and people in a two-way flow. This was the beginning of the platform economy, which you've heard me talk about before. And it also led to things like user-generated content, influencer marketing, creating and driving conversations. So it was much more interactive. Now, major problems of Web 2.0 included exploitation of user data, major privacy violations by most of the social, big social media platforms, not to mention the explosion of misinformation, propaganda, conspiracy theories, et cetera, with right, negative like, mental health consequences on a wide scale. Yeah, I'm laughing here because like um, Facebook obviously now being meta, but they were the main protagonist. Perpetrator. Perpetrator, <laughs> sorry, wrong word in that whole kind of misuse of data in Web2. So hmm, I just yeah. have to mention yeah. that one there. <laughs> the misuse of data, huge theme, and also tech companies becoming incredibly powerful and generating massive wealth for a few while entrenching inequity. So Web3 is basically meant to address some of these issues and give control back to the users, especially over our data. So now that brings us up to Web3, which... Um, unofficially at least, starts roughly 2021. So we're just at the very, very baby beginnings of this thing. And in transitioning to Web3, the idea is that the internet will now connect us with communities, places, things, activities, and events. And Web3 is gonna be the foundation of the metaverse. So the idea is that Web3 will be built on blockchain-enabled 
decentralized applications that support a token economy of user-owned crypto assets and data, including your own data. So there's a fundamental shift at work here. Web 2.0's focus was capturing people's attention in any way possible. Ads, clickbait, shitposting, you name it. But Web 3's focus is capturing investment and loyalty rather than just attention. And that's why communities are gonna be the key to this brave new world. This next evolution of the internet involves multiple converging technologies, including 5G, blockchains, crypto, extended reality tools, and all of these are worth talking about in more detail. Gosh, they are. Like, I guess I'd not really uh, understood the implication of that, how this kind of decentralization back to the end user uh, away from big companies is fundamentally the biggest positive shift in the technology capabilities that are now being built. I don't think I really appreciated that. And like, <laughs> as you said, a lot of the misuse of how... Um, particularly data, but things like clickbait and, you know, how unfriendly the Web2 space has been with things like cyberbullying even and exploitive, um, exploitative. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm starting to get more warmed up to some of these words and concepts. Um, but there's a lot of big words in there. Um, so I just wanted to like just check my understanding of a couple of things. What What is blockchain again? <laughs> what is a blockchain? Well, oh, well, should we go through all of these these terms that oh, I just Oh yeah, sure. Start with five, let's, five let's, let's do yeah, that because one of them kind of lead one leads to the next. Okay. So let's let's go let's go through this. Let's talk no about problem. first of all, just in the mobile world, you probably heard a lot about five G in the press or through your mobile service provider, and what that means, five G. It's the fifth generation of wireless communications, which started back in the days of one G. That was analog voice. 2G, digital voice and texting, 3G, basic wireless internet and low definition video, 4G, mobile web access, gaming, high definition video and video conferencing. And now we're coming up to the glory days of 5G and this enables much higher data rates, reduced latency, higher system capacity and numerous device connectivity. So 5G is basically just what the metaverse needs to be accessible over mobile and wireless devices. That's so interesting. I'm like really geeking out there because I had no idea <laughs> that every time we moved up a number, it actually meant another capability. Um, so thank you. That, that was uh, fabulous. Super interesting. <laughs> it, it really is. And you know, I, I used to never really pay attention to where we were 3G, 4G, 5G, mm. but you would notice the deficits that your device had, like, oh, this, this, mm. there's a buffering problem with this video or whatever. And, and now I'm starting to realize that every time we move up, the capabilities of our mobile devices become mm. so much more powerful. And that means that, mm. you know, we, they can do more in our lives, you know, and, it, and, and I think, I think that this, this, this mobile development to 5G is part of that merging of, of physical and digital that, that, that Kathy Hackle talks about. So that's part of it too. It's not just going to happen over, over uh, you know, desktop devices or laptops. Mm -hmm. It's going to be all our devices that can connect with the internet. You know, I also I talked about yeah, <laughs> yeah. Now, now, blockchain is a big, 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 big topic, and I'm going to concentrate it right down to a juicy nugget for you. So, because blockchain is basically key 
to Web3 and key to any kind of decentralized system. So um, it sounds very, very geeky, but it's actually really fun and cool. So, so the idea with blockchain is that in contrast to centralized databases, which can be hacked, the blockchain is this kind of shared, distributed, immutable public ledger. It lives over potentially thousands of different systems, you know, as opposed to one, one place. And it's verified via cryptography as well. So the idea is that any kind of transaction gets recorded as a block of data. So hence blockchain. So the block is securely linked to the blocks that came before it and after it via cryptography. And this creates an irreversible chain that certifies the exact timing and sequence of the transactions. So each successive block is confirming the prior blocks verification and therefore the entire blockchain from inception up to the present. It is almost impossible to tamper with the blockchain. Once the data has been entered in there, it can't be changed. That's why people talk about the blockchain being immutable. Mm -hmm. So crypto is very closely related to blockchain. And basically it is a block, crypto basically means cryptocurrency and it's a blockchain-based digital currency that doesn't rely on governance by any central authority such as a government or a central bank, you know, and this is, this is, this is why cryptocurrency is part of this sort of decentralized environment around Web3. And you might also hear other terms for crypto like digital tokens or coins. Now, the first and most famous of the cryptocurrencies was Bitcoin. Bitcoin. It appeared in 2009, but at the moment, I think there are up to 2000 others. Notably Ethereum, Ethereum, which gave rise to hugely popular innovations like NFTs, DAOs, and smart contracts, which we're going to talk about as well. So let's start with smart contracts. Smart contracts are basically, well, they can be very simple if-then programs that run automatically on the blockchain. When certain defined preconditions are met, they execute. And that saves time and the need for intermediaries to process transactions. So for example, you could have a smart contract that is programmed to release the door code for your new apartment as soon as you've paid your security deposit. It can also be used to trigger automatic workflows and enterprise settings. And this improves speed and efficiency while providing total transparency of the completed transactions. Because the blockchain is a public ledger. Anybody can look and see what's been done. Now, a DAO is a decentralized autonomous organization that is governed by smart contracts on the blockchain. And they're basically groups of people with common goals who pool their money to achieve these goals in a non-hierarchical way. So in a DAO, no one is authorized to spend money, they can't dig into the treasury, without the group's approval all payments have to be approved by vote before being executed by the smart contract. Members of the DAO acquire proposal rights and voting privileges when they buy the DAO's native token. And decisions are made collectively by the token holders rather than the CEO or a board. So DAOs allow communities to be owned by their members and incentivize them to make that DAO successful, which I think is a really interesting concept. I have an amazing DAO story for you. Uh, it's, it's my absolute favorite. And that is the real world impact of Ukraine DAO. 
So in March, the Ukrainian president Zelensky legalized cryptocurrency in the Ukraine to address the deluge of crypto being donated to support Ukraine's military defense and humanitarian aid. So to date, Ukraine has accepted 14 different cryptocurrencies, roughly worth $100 million. And much of the early support came from the Ukraine DAO, which was formed in February 2022, thanks to a founder of the famous Russian activist punk band Pussy Riot. The Ukraine DAO has raised millions by selling an NFT of the Ukrainian flag. Which brings us to NFTs. What are they and how did they set the world on fire? Well, NFT stands for non-fungible token, meaning a unique digital asset that can hold value like photography, art, music, videos, or even memes. And in gaming environments, of course, NFTs can be avatars, skins, clothes, tools, weapons, all kinds of stuff. But in every case, the NFT is not just that digital item. It's that digital item plus verifiable proof of ownership stored on the blockchain. Now, in contrast to NFTs, fungible tokens like Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies are non-unique and interchangeable. So each Bitcoin has the same value as every other Bitcoin. That's what makes it fungible. Whereas an NFT, non-fungible token, has a unique value as agreed between a buyer and seller. Now, last year was crazy, crazy for NFT sales. And to cite one famous example, you've probably heard of it. The digital artist known as Beeple sold an NFT artwork called The First 5,000 Days for over $69 million at auction house Christie's in March 2021, which puts him in the top three most valuable living artists. And another great example is the Board 8 Yacht Club, a collection of computer-generated cartoon eight profile pictures what, that have now generated around US 1 billion in sales and counting. Uh, ah, now, while the value of the, the digital art might be debatable, ownership of a board ape also confers membership in an exclusive community with access to a, a Discord server alongside celebrity owners. And there are other perks such as uh, free NFT drops, with, and these can then be resold, board ape mer merchandise, and um, real-world events such as parties or charity dinners. So it's, it's, it's a community and a club as well as a collection of NFTs. And what I think is really, really interesting here, you know, for all of us, is that Board Ape Yacht Club has found a way to tie their NFTs, not just to these pictures, but also to real, tangible utility and privileges that their members value. And this also creates a community with a cohesive identity as well. It's, it's just fascinating. <laughs> Deep breath. Yeah, well, I suppose I hadn't appreciated that a Bitcoin was a fungible token and then an <laughs> NFT, what non-fungible meant. So that was really educational. Um, but is there like a risk of uh, like equity getting worse if people can't afford to take part in this um, metaverse and don't have access to fungible or non-fungible tokens. I don't know, that yacht club sounded pretty cool until uh, it was like multi-billion dollar millionaires having um, oh, champagne yeah. it's, parties. It's a, it's, a million, <laughs> it's a millionaire's club, absolutely. Yeah. Um, 
And I, I think that's something I'm going to get to later is, oh, is okay. equity in the metaverse uh, and, right. and, I've, and, <laughs> you know, different see. models of inclusivity as opposed to mm -hmm. exclusivity mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, because there was a lot of controversy, wasn't there, about crypto and NFTs last year. So, like, blockchain being immutable. Is it really? <laughs> what's well, going on? What's well, the, what's the, we are, the more we are, shady stories? <laughs> oh, there's oh, there's so many shady stories. I had to leave out so many good shady stories that I wanted to, to share with you, but I'm going to cover some of the big stuff. So, just the last month has been so packed with crypto controversy that I'm, I'm struggling to keep up with it. So I love the alliteration, crypto controversy. That, that just... <laughs> you know what? That appeals to me too. I'm going to yeah. stick with that. <laughs> crypto <laughs> crash works too. <laughs> crash. Yeah. So just, just to highlight some of the biggest, juiciest stories in this space that I think people are really going to enjoy. Um, the first controversy I want to talk about is the May 2022 crypto crash, aka crypto winter, which literally Ooh. just happened. Um, the collapse uh, wiped out $600 billion of cryptocurrency value in one week. Wow. Bitcoin and the Ethereum uh, cryptocurrency, Ether, are still trading at roughly half of what their peak value was from September 2021. And for many people, this isn't just a news story. Some 40% of crypto investors actually lost everything. So it's a real wake-up call to invest carefully. People, please never invest more than you can afford to lose. Mm -hmm. There's also a lot of NFT volatility as well. You may have heard the story about how Twitter founder Jack Dorsey created an NFT of his first tweet, just setting up my Twitter in December 2022, and then sold it a few months later for $2.9 million. Well, what's happened since then is this year the NFT's buyer has put it to auction. I believe it's on OpenSea and hasn't been able to attract any bids much over $14,000. So in the time that's elapsed from peak hype when he bought this NFT, it's actually dropped an estimated 99% in value. And the bottom line here is the only thing that determines the value of an NFT is what one person is willing to pay for it. Needless to say, NFTs make for risky investments with high volatility. And then, and then there's the whole smorgasbord of thefts, scams, and heists. Every week, another crypto crime story breaks. And how is that even possible if the blockchain is so secure and immutable? Isn't that the million dollar question? So the answer there is usually that these crimes involve exploiting some kind of security vulnerability and most of the time it's off chain to be, to be fair. So Gizmodo has been documenting the 10 biggest crypto heists of 2022. And I love that they put in quotes so far, <laughs> they say that more than a billion dollars in cryptocurrency was stolen in the first four months of this year and answer that with pretty good Q1 for the criminals. Now the biggest of these heists by far was at the online gaming platform Axie Infinity in March. Hackers use stolen private keys, these are the, the passwords needed to access digital wallets or crypto wallets, to make off with 625 million in crypto tokens. And last month, another story you might have heard about, hackers were able to gain access to the Board Ape Yacht Club's Instagram account, and they executed a phishing scam. 
This involved uploading a post linked to a cloned version of the Board Ape Yachts Club website with an offer of free crypto tokens. Then anyone who authenticated and connected their digital wallet to the fake site lost their NFTs and crypto assets, anything that was in their wallet. And this scam netted the hackers about 3 million worth of crypto loot. Now, the trouble is, legally, it's nearly impossible to force a thief to return stolen crypto assets to their rightful owner. Because crypto, you got to understand, is a bearer instrument, just like cash or bonds. And what that means is whoever has possession is presumed to be the rightful owner. So as long as the private key is correct, any transaction to move your crypto will be recognized as valid on the blockchain without any other proof of ownership. And that's why your best defense against theft is to keep your digital wallet and private keys secure and preferably offline. That's a whole subject in itself. <laughs> oh, and the irony that <laughs> you have to keep your digital keys offline. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> online in a mess of it. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. So kind of like, oh, I'm cooling down a bit again now because um, like the potential for um, some of the most positive advantages or why this is like could be a really great thing. They're starting to get unpicked here, aren't they? If it's, if it isn't immutable and um, it is, or the exclusive. immutability means you can't correct theft. Theft, yeah. Or errors. Yeah, yeah that's really sorry, tricky. And and that's that's one area where I wish I could see in the crypto community a little bit more concern about these very serious mm. security issues. Mm. Because for Web3 and the metaverse to become part of the mainstream world, we've got to be able to to address these, these security uh, holes that criminals are exploiting. Because if these issues of risk are not addressed, I don't see how you're gonna get mainstream right. adoption. Yeah. And, and, and I, I want to see Web3 and the metaverse move forward, but I want people to have reasonable security when they, they take part in it. That's why we could have, we could have a whole seminar just on uh, software and hardware wallets, custodial, non-custodial wallets, cold wallets, all kinds of stuff. It, it's literally a topic into itself. Yeah, uh, I need a part two to this. And, uh, but, then, <laughs> but then I guess it, it's got me thinking though that you were programming Generation Alpha who literally are addicted to Fortnite and Roblox. Like we're raising a whole generation of children who are plugged into the metaverse already. So mm-hmm. um, yeah you know kind of seeing like millennials and <laughs> gen z's experiencing these problems of how we've used um these technologies and that and it's coming apart but when you've got literally a whole generation of, but, but but that where there's a small like you said it's not mainstream it's a small number of users but if we're growing a mainstream population from the ground up like what is going to happen in the future is it going to be chaos or is it going to be <laughs> um able to deliver the the promises that something like this with the capabilities yeah. that could possibly exist i don't know interesting interesting it, it is and you know and i wonder about you know a whole generation coming up um really becoming bogged down in the materialism around this entire new market of of mm. of digital items you know and how is that going to affect how people feel about themselves how they feel about their online identity how they feel part of their communities or, or what, what is required for them to buy to be part of a community. 
I, I think there's some really interesting questions and it's following so hot and heavy on the back of, uh, you know, some reports recently released that showed that Instagram was incredibly harmful to especially teenage girls oh, self image. Yeah. And so I sort of worry about how do we how do we get how do we get the good things out of this without all of these sort of negative contingencies? Because, you yeah. know, when, when I, back when I was in grad school and, and, and the internet was a wee baby being birthed, we had this very, very, um, you know, idealistic idea, you know, information wants to be free. We didn't see, and, you know, everyone was going to be well-informed because it was going to be so easy to access information. And we never anticipated uh, misinformation and propaganda and conspiracies and how much social harm that would do. No. So I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, you know, meaning to be uh, pessimistic mm. about Web3 or the metaverse. I'm it's just precedent. trying to yeah. <laughs> anticipate some of the things that could come down the track later that we, through human-centered design and through, you know, the right values and intentions could perhaps alleviate just by being conscious of these issues, you know? It's back to kind of square one of what you said right at the beginning, like none of this stuff is real because it's not in real life. So whether that's Instagram images that have been airbrushed that make people like young women feel bad about their real bodies, like the metaverse is basically building an entire ecosystem where you don't have to take part in reality <laughs> um, or phys sorry, physical reality. Um, and it, and like to me, it, it made sense that it made things possible when humans couldn't be in the same spaces as each other because due to a pandemic but like it accelerated the adoption of it to some extent didn't it mm -hmm. and it's it not did. and it's not declined because people can meet in person actually I think a lot of people are enjoying living these avatar-based lives engaging in digital communities and not having to deal with the realities of some of the maybe less fun parts of life um, you can be who you want to be, right? If you're not, yeah. if you're not in a real world. Yeah, you don't um, have to do the laundry in the metaverse. <laughs> <laughs> hey, with all that mundane stuff. That made me laugh. Um, so I'm just conscious of time um, for our listeners as well now. So, so I guess like let's just cut to the chase around customer experience. Like obviously marketing are getting super excited about it. Yeah. The, the, yeah. the latest but, buzzword. But where do you see customer experience <clears throat> taking a different approach? So it not being a buzzword or a um, flash in the pan, kind of the latest big thing. Where are yeah. we going? And, and I, I, think, I think this is a really important question because even though CX is traditionally very related to marketing, I think the, the approaches are fundamentally different. So what I'm seeing right now is a lot of fizziness in the marketing world about the novelty of the metaverse and the opportunity it presents to sell more stuff. Because marketing, you have to realize, if we're looking at it honestly, marketing is the art of leveraging desire and persuasion to convince a customer to buy. And that means that marketing is always going to be drawn to the excitement and opportunity of hype because it's highly effective for driving sales in the short term. Mm -hmm. Now, customer experience is a little different because we optimize for the long arc that includes customer retention and advocacy, not just acquisition. So we focus on creating positive experiences for customers as well as employees and partners to help businesses solve problems, remove pain points that people experience, and generate loyalty and, of course, increase customer lifetime value, among other things. So CX is that longer game, but it can be harder to measure the impact of CX from a short-term financial perspective. 
So if you look at the example of Amazon, creating value and better experiences for customers is exactly what they've done all through their celebrated history. And it's easy to forget how much vision it took to bet the farm on customer experience and to stick with it through, I don't know how many years of financial losses was it? I forget if it was 10, 15 or 20, but it was years of financial losses. And personally, I can still remember the first time I ordered my textbooks for uni on Amazon and they came straight to my door. Because in the pre-Amazon days, I had to line up for hours at the campus bookstore to get my books. And this was a life-changing moment when Amazon came on the scene. Now, the upshot of this is I don't love Amazon because of the things that I bought or the prices that I paid. I love Amazon because it made my life better. And for me, this is, this is our absolute mic drop moment for customer experience. It's not about exploiting desire or greed or human weakness. It's about continually working to understand customer needs, solve their problems, and create value in ways that they appreciate and will gladly pay for, for all the right reasons. And that's what CXers will need to focus on to innovate in the metaverse. Interesting. I'm just waiting for somebody to start branding MX next. <laughs> CXUX and MX, my metaverse experience. Um, so yeah, so what would your top three takeaways if you if you could give women in CX um, yeah, kind of three big things to take away from this conversation. What would they be? Well, first, we need to play to our strengths of understanding customers, meeting where them, meeting them where they are and engaging with them through their preferred channels. So if they're in the metaverse, then we need to be there too. Second, don't be afraid to experiment with metaverse projects. Brands have to be willing to start small, test and iterate, and see what resonates with their customers in different environments. Third, make sure to engage with the people and value people and places that align with your values so that the metaverse can be a place that's authentic, courageous, collaborative, and inclusive, just like us, the women in CX. Yeah, I'm going to go away and start designing my first women in CX NFT, I think. <laughs> so you can all have little digital logos. <laughs> um, but that was super interesting. I learned so much, and I'm sure everybody listening along has um, learned a hell of a lot from this as well. Uh, it feels like we might need a follow-up article, perhaps something that we can put with some of these terms that people can go back and read. Would that be all right, Anna, for, for oh, me to ask? I, I, <laughs> I, I think so, because we haven't even gotten to like key drivers of metaverse experiences from the social driver side and the technology driver side. There's so much more that we could talk about if we just had more time. Yeah. Okay. So we'll do a part two podcast. And then if we can maybe take especially that early part about like the definitions of the different things you gave such good descriptions maybe we can link to an article on women in cx website and then um, it'll help people to just maybe take another little deep dive back having heard everything that you said about customer experience to go back to the beginning and uh, and refresh themselves on that but that was super useful really insightful just thank you so much Anna. we really appreciate you coming on and sharing all of this knowledge and insight with us today <laughs> oh, i love talking with you about it claire really enjoyable thanks for having me you're welcome. And thanks to everybody who listened along as well. Yeah, keep your eye on the Women in CX website and we'll, we'll provide some more resources there. That's it, everybody. Um, see you all soon. Bye for now. Bye for now. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Women in CX podcast with me, Claire Musket. If you enjoyed the show, please drop us a like, subscribe and leave a review on whichever platform you're listening or watching on. And if you want to know more about becoming a member of the world's first online community for women in customer experience, please check out www.womenincx.community and follow the Women in CX page on LinkedIn. 
Join us again next time where I'll be talking to one of our community members from the UK about customer experience and proposition development in the context of supermarket retailing. See you all next time.